We can't come together in a, in a common political project, this sort of new earth we want to see beyond the society we're living in, just on difference alone. Welcome to Infinite Conversations, a podcast about art and life. My name is Marco V. Morelli, and my guest today is the writer, thinker, activist, and minister in training, Trevor Malkinson. The question we're exploring is, what happens when we bring some of the same principles of a meditation or mindfulness practice into our conversations with each other. That is to say, what becomes possible when we become fully present and engaged in the phenomenology of listening, speaking, and relating to others as a dialogical practice? What forms of communion and even shared purpose emerge when, yes, we recognize, honor, and work with our differences yet also go beyond our personal identities to experience presence and meaning through the art of conversation. Trevor lives in Vancouver, British Columbia. He did a BA in philosophy at the University of Victoria and an MA at Brock University. He's currently completing a Master's of Divinity at the Vancouver School of Theology and is on an ordination track within the United Church of Canada. The point of departure for our conversation is Trevor's recent paper entitled The Ethics of Presence, New Paths in Interfaith Dialogue, which you can find a link to on the episode page for this talk at infiniteconversations.fm. That's also where you can support this podcast with a one-time or monthly donation and help us build a creative gift economy for social poetics and planetary thought. You can also subscribe to receive new episodes by email and learn about other podcasts on the network. That said, let's get into it. Here's my talk with Trevor Malkinson on the ethics of dialogue, conversation as a spiritual practice. I wanted to begin with a quote. Uh, I think it's a quote from you, but it's basically in the middle of a couple of other quotes that you're giving from other writers, I want to propose this quote as sort of the guiding inquiry to our our conversation. But this is the quote. Uh, You ask, what would happen if we did our deepest spiritual practice with one another? If we drew off our own practices of prayer and meditation and met each other with an open heart of love, what would our relationship to the other be then? So, you know, first I, I want to Welcome you, Brother Trevor, to uh, to this podcast. Uh, I should let people know the name of the show is Infinite Conversations. And I'm basically just talking to friends. Um, and so uh, we're Facebook friends, but we're also real life friends. And, you know, we basically, I think, met through uh, Beams and Struts, uh, where you were a uh, writer and an editor and a founder. Uh, and that project uh, was one of the inspirations for me to be doing this project that I'm doing now called A Theory of Everybody, uh, which includes this podcast. And so, so on Facebook, you posted this uh, paper that you had written, uh, which was a term paper for a class in your um, uh, school of ministry, yeah. uh, grad school. 
uh, and the class is, was called Encountering the Other, <laughs> and the paper is called The Ethics of Presence, New Paths in Interfaith Dialogue. And uh, you made a few comments, I think, when you posted the paper, but basically you, you know, were referencing this kind of conversation that you're having about how we dialogue with one another. Mm -hmm. And, and in this paper specifically, you're talking about interfaith dialogue. Right. Uh, but what I think you're doing is you're taking a tradition of this kind of practice, this kind of dialogic uh, practice, uh, and you're uh, wanting to bring it into the interfaith discourse, right? Exactly. And, and so for me, I'm coming to it uh, from a different angle, which is mm. like I want to explore these conversations as almost like creativity or forms of art, like the art of com conversation. Uh, but it's not just a performance, right? It's like a being present with another, another person, right? It's being present with, you know, with the spirit that is uh, within and, and between and amongst us. And like bringing that into, into the conversation, like relating to that as a, as a, as a core piece of it. So anyway, I saw your paper and I'm like, that I think really relates to what I want to do. And it's sort of like what I've been intuitively moving towards, but I don't have formal experience in the kind of uh, practice that you're talking about here, which you describe as a spirituality of dialogue. <clears throat> so you uploaded this paper, I, I take a look at it and I'm like, that would be a great conversation. <clears throat> and so here we are, uh, present, uh, and uh, I thought I would start just by, you know, asking you to reflect on, you know, first what, what, what you want people to know about you that I, I may not have already mentioned, and, uh, and then, like, what's the context for this paper? Like, what, what's mm -hmm. your interest in uh, generative dialogue uh, mm -hmm. or this kind of spirituality of, of conversation? Um, yeah, in terms of my own background, um, you know, I grew up, Secular in Canada and in, uh, uh, in Victoria on the West Coast, and eventually in my twenties became a, a seeker. I studied philosophy um, as an undergrad and a graduate degree. Um, you know, at that time was very rejected Christianity, but was interested like many Gen Xers in the East. So um, started looking to Buddhism and traveled to India and did the Pasta meditation retreats and, and all that kind of thing. And then somewhere in my 30s, I, um, you know, was feeling a little lost. I, I was, um, I applied for a PhD in philosophy. I didn't get in. Um, that kind of threw me off. I, I kind of figured that, that that's where my direction was going. And I, and I ended up going to a church service. Um, just thought, hey, I like God. They like God in there. And it was one Sunday and, and um, I had a very powerful emotional experience. But it wasn't, it was a Baptist church. I wasn't quite into the theology. Um, um, and it was a bit literalist for me, and so I asked around, and someone said, well, there's this great guy uh, doing stuff at 16th and Burrard in Vancouver. Uh, that turns out it was Bruce Sanguin, and, and Bruce, Reverend Bruce Sanguin, he was, um, he was doing something very interesting. He was also integrally informed, and he'd already trained in spiral dynamics by the time I'd got to his church. Um, so that thing started to uh, unfold uh, there for me in listening to him preach every weekend, and eventually I felt the call. To, to go into ministry, and that's where I've been for the last five years at the Vancouver School of Theology, um, doing a Master's in Divinity, 
on an ordination track in the United Church of Canada. So I think one you know possible line of interest, maybe not, not only in our call, but maybe for folks that might be listening, is that I did come from the integral world into, into the Christian world. And, and I've never been explicit about that fact at seminary, but I think my, 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 my teachers have, have um, been quite interested in my work because they can't quite figure it out, right? And it's a very postmodern school in mostly the best way. Vancouver School of Theology, you know, some problems as, as, as the postmodern can have, but a very high level of, of, of scholarship and some pretty wonderful people. So, you know, I have this very ability to bring sort of back conservative elements. You may say blue mean parts of Christianity that I'm not so offended by, but, you know, the postmodern can be, be quite offended by. Mm-hmm. So that kind of takes us to this paper. Now, so one of the, uh, one of the things that they want everybody at the school to do is to learn basically how to be pluralistic, right? So from a postmodern point of view, it's every minister they go through, they want, they want them to be able to, to come out and be able to um, recognize difference, to be aware of difference, to know their own social location. Um, yeah, so this class, Encountering the Other, uh, is kind of classically, you know, the other is a classically postmodern term, right? I mean, it comes out of Lebanon and, um, you know, is used a lot by Lacan and all these great postmodern theorists. So even just the title kind of tips it off. And so what, what I saw in this class what was tugging at me was that where interfaith dialogue has kind of got to and where this class was at was was a recognition of difference. And I say this at the very start of the paper, although it's not unpacked very long because mm-hmm. I don't have so much space. But it's got to the fact that I want to be I want to ha- I want to be able to have, you know, to see a, a religious other. So a Muslim, I say I'm a Christian. And I want to be able to just I want to be OK with that. I want to let them be who they are, be and just be in front of me. Right. Mm-hmm. But my my own experience of doing some of this dialogue practice was that uh, that you could there was there was another level there was another place to to get to where I think that if we're really going to come together as religious others we'll come together um, through communion through a different like there's another plateau I think that's very important the postmodern recognition of difference but my sense was that there was another place where we could really truly love the religious other because we would feel um, you know we'd feel connected. In a, in a sort of a deeper, almost more ontological kind of way. So I, 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 um, I looked up, you know, I did lots of Google searches to find out if anybody had applied Bohmian or this, this dialogue lineage, which I know we'll talk about, to interfaith um, dialogue, and it really wasn't there. A few papers mentioned it. They kind of off to the side, like David Bohm has some things to, to teach, you know, but no one had actually been doing that, that practice. So I just thought I'd try to um, initiate that conversation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it seems like there are different levels of intimacy that, mm. are, that are implied by the different sort of iterations of interfaith dialogue. Mm. Uh, and, you know, you start from this postmodern um, phase, you know, where we can recognize difference and honor difference and see the other as the other that they are. And th- that that's a big deal in a in a world yeah. that has you know s- riven by centuries of re- religious and other forms of strife. Right? I mean, just being able to like be tolerant is a huge deal, right? Absolutely. Uh, and and then, but it, the way you start the papers, you ask, is recognizing difference enough when it comes to uh, accepting the other? And I thought it was interesting how you kind of built your argument because you, I think want to affirm that 
that the recognition is really important and that the ways that we change you know, each other are really important, the sort of ways that we come to know each other, what we can learn from speaking with each other, uh, those are important. Um, but, and, but you then say that on that foundation, and not without that foundation, that's right. an, you know, not without that foundation, you can go to this different level of intimacy, which you talk about as, as communion. So you, you lay out sort of a lineage of this practice of experiencing communion through dialogue, experiencing it through this exchange of, of ourselves uh, in language and in presence. Uh, you know, why don't you share a bit about that lineage and like how you've come to learn about it and how you sure. relate to it? Yeah, so you know, it starts with David Bohm, really, and David Bohm, you know, the physicist, uh, he starts having conversations with uh, across disciplines, and I think this was in the 70s, maybe into the 80s, in particular, he starts having a series of conversations with J. Krishnamurti, the philosopher and spiritual teacher. And through all of that practice, he starts to discern, uh, uh, in his mind anyway, what some things that could happen within dialogue practice that can lead to optimum results. And so he publishes a book in 1996 called On Dialogue, um, it's now, that's a classic, I think it's in its third printing from Rutledge. And and so that's now, and, and, and I was on uh, the campus, uh, our University of Victoria campus in, my, in the 90s. I met a group of people who were doing Bohemian Dialogue. And um, and so I did, a, you know, I did some sessions with them and, and it was it was powerful. It was very interesting. That was sort of my first taste. I mean, one of the things that, that you know, is part of, a part of the, this whole lineage is, is being okay with silence. And I think this was the first time I'd ever really experienced that. It can be very uncomfortable. You know, like when you're having, when there's silence in the room, you let, you let it be there, you know, within that field of conversation, if you don't have nothing to say, you don't say it. It's very awkward as humans um, um, to, to sit with silence, but that's actually, that silence allows for the gen, the generation, the generativity, right? The Quakers, the Quaker listening practice is very much this. So um, continuing on um, that, that that gets picked up by that work. Bohm's work gets picked up by uh, a group of people at MIT, uh, including in particular Otto Otto Scharmer. Um, and Otto Scharmer starts to work with a friend, Sesco Varela, who is a uh, he's a biologist. I, I don't know his full CV, but it's impressive. And they start to work with Bohm, but add additions. They start to bring mindfulness uh, dimensions to it, and they kind of create um, a little three three stage or three practices they call uh, three practices of becoming aware. Um, you know, that their work becomes very popular in the, in the business world. You know, they have books, the theory you and the book called presence was written with four folks. And, and so the business world really picks up on this partially because we could talk more about it, but in the dialogue space, there's often a lot of space as you were kind of intimating earlier uh, with creativity so, so there's a, it's very generative. I mean, there's um, uh, so you know the business world doesn't care about ontology and metaphysics. It's like, what do I get out of it, right? So it's like, no, people are like they come up with new things. They come up with you know this collective intelligence kind of happens that gives them new ad campaigns or whatever. So um, it's been picked up heavily in that world. Um, then in the 2000s, a couple different spiritual communities in North, in North America started working with it as well. Uh, Andrew Cohen's community and the Enlightened Next uh, community in, in Boston, um, which is now defunct, and there was definitely some guru problems there, we all know, but nevertheless, they were working very hard with this practice. 
um, which they called enlightened dialogue. Uh, and I took part in, in some various different retreats in the integral world. We did, we did that practice. And then just to go back to my own story, then at around 2005 or six or so, I actually don't know the dates, but anyway, I get, um, I meet this, you know, groups of people that are coming out of the integral world, but in particular this one guy, Olin Gunlafsson, who's, who's quoted a lot in my paper and who teaches now at Laval University, he teaches generative dialogue. But so we, we form a men's group and we do for a year, every Sunday, we do a two hour practice together, this dialogue practice. And one of the people in there was a, a student at Cohen at the time. And the other major group uh, to, to note is, is Next Step Integral, an organization um, who has done a lot of work, um, the Martinos, uh, Stefan and Miriam have done a lot of work in, in this area and have also been holding retreats um, of various kinds uh, around doing doing this work. And so I went to their all of all of their retreats. And then since then, I, I've been I could stop there, but there's that's continued on. Next step, next step is trying to figure out their next steps. And so they've I, I went up to a retreat two years ago in Nelson, to where the Martinos live, and a few people came and we did practice. And then they've sort of moved a little bit in a in a Christian direction, um, trying to, to discover. Um, what's the connection between sort of the we practice and or this this dialogue practice and sort of the body of Christ and things like that? So, at that group, I do uh, an online call once a month um, with with that group, and we just got off the call this morning. So, that is that sort of laid out. Or? Yeah, yeah, totally. Uh, I mean, this is like something that you were just doing like before we were talking, right? So, yeah, that's right. Um, it's like something you're actively like working on. It's something yeah. that you're actively practicing. And yeah. for me, like I actually have never like formally done a a conversation practice like that. Mm-hmm. Like in the sense mm-hmm. of getting together with a group of people and act, like intentionally doing it. But I remember back when I was at Integral Institute, there mm-hmm. it was a uh, Cohen students. You know, in that in that kind of area of overlap in the Venn diagram between the two, yeah. you know, scenes and organizations, there were, you know, people like uh, Christos uh, Venegas and, and you know, a, a few others who were practicing it and they would get very excited about mm. it. You know, there, mm. there was um, like this feeling, this almost frenzy that would sometimes, it, mm. it seems like kind of come out of that space mm-hmm. um, because, and I think part of it was probably because it, it really, you know, it, it involved like dropping egoity like dropping a sense of like separation and i think that when you do that a lot of energies start to come out and those energies because they've kind of been bottled up in our like separate self sense uh they they're a little chaotic you know and so so i would get that sense you know from them and i never practice it directly uh but i'm very intrigued by it because i was reflecting on this before before we spoke for me, uh, like my tendency is is much more toward introspection and 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 toward uh, silence. Uh, like I feel that di- like meeting people in dialogue and meeting mm-hmm. people in presence uh, is is a big um, it's a big challenge. You know, it's a big it's a big hurdle and something I'm really afraid of. You know, like I feel that fear in me and I feel the anxiety like when that possibility even comes up. So I was thinking that you know one of the reasons perhaps why I, I identify as a writer and why writing became so important to me is because it's like those are all the, you write all the things that you can't say <laughs> you can't talk about uh, with people so you spend time alone working out your thoughts working out your feelings and writing them down somehow you know using that to communicate uh, 
and maybe with nobody around, like, you know, maybe with somebody who's going to read your work in, you know, a century from now. But what if you could, and, and I would experience writing as a form of communion, like a form of communion mm. with myself, a form of communion with uh, the divine, with the mystery, with, the, you know, mm. the, 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 the great vacuity, you know, that mm. the, the abyss, like I would experience these forms of communion and it would come out. But what if you could experience that with other people? Because the, one of the problems with that, like self-centeredness, mm. is that, uh, you know, it's, it's easy to kind of get enclosed into yourself and like just kind of like concentrate more and more into this like singularity of separation. Uh, and, you know, what I'm like practicing with, like where I'm at, is... is connecting like that singularity that's like inwardness with this with the the same thing in others you know or maybe not the same thing but whatever the others really have you know to whoever they really are whatever they really kind of like bring to me so so i'm i'm really like i don't i don't not only have beginner's mind about this but like i'm i'm even feel like really confused about it like it's just like something i'm learning so I'd, i'd i'd love to hear more about like you know, what your experience is and how it works. Yeah, sure. Um, stepping back one moment, you know, when you're talking about even writing, when we did, you know, we did Beams and Struts, we had a, a practice um, that TJ Daha invented called Shut the Fuck Up and Write Night. And we'd all get, uh, and uh, we'd all get, he's a big promoter to this day of this practice, by the way, but, you, you know, you come, writers would come to a room with a two-hour slot, okay, say some highs when you get it, you know, hello when you get in there, and then you would shut the fuck up and write, and 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 if if you started to chat, should chat with each other, TJ would tell you to shut the fuck up. So, but you know, some of our best writing came out of that room, and so I think what we're talking about there's, we could talk about field theory, or or, or when multiple entities kind of get it in around each other, you know, they trade information, and uh, I don't know what happens. I mean, maybe we talk about. Uh, you know, morphic fields with, you know, sort of Shell Drake's work or, or whatever, but um, without getting into the possible science of it, there's something, there's something that happens between folks when, when you're together. So even as silent writers together, our writing was better. It's just weird. I don't know how to explain it. And um, maybe it's just the concentration that we got because we're all committed to it. I, I don't know. So in terms of the dialogue practice, one of the problems with having a conversation about it is that it's you kind of need to experience the phenomenology directly to really get a taste. But nevertheless, right? Um, you know, people would come together in a circle. Uh, as maybe six to eight would probably be optimum. Um, you probably could do a two-person. I've never done it. I've been in circles of thirty, which is quite unruly. And and I, we found out along the way that the groups that big, people have need to have have had a little experience with the practice for it to really. People need to be at the same levels of, of practice for, for it to work uh, well. But so here's you know, the three um, the three main core practices uh, as sort of well it's in, in the lineage, but let's say outlined by by Otto Sharma and colleagues is the first one is suspension. So as we talk, so the you know, the, the group might be seated with a conversation. I mean, today in our call, because we're talking about a Christian context, it was just what's the next steps. I think that's all that was said is what's the next steps. For Christianity, well, just in general, it was almost just the next steps. We kind of knew, general. Anyway, so that was it. 
and then we'd rest in the silence. And the first thing is suspension. So it's suspension, suspension of, of what we already know, which is a guy like myself, who's read a lot of books and like many people have, and like you have, I know that's really hard. Meaning like when someone says something, I don't want to be speaking from what I've already know. So, you know, in, in Zen, they call this beginner's mind, you know, and there's, there's a whole, as I came to discover in my research for the paper, almost every spiritual tradition has a version of this intelligence or an awareness of this space, but we, you know, nevertheless. So you you kind of, you know, you're present, you know, fully present. But the, the second one is called redirection or Olin, Olin, Olin is called surrendering into witnessing, but you're constantly bringing your attention. This is the mindfulness practice for anybody that's done meditation. I know you've done lots of it. So, you know, you're, you're, you're just bringing yourself back to the arising moment. You know, it's a constant, it's just, that's basically, I'm just a mindfulness practice, but right here, right now, what's happening in my body, what's arising. And one of the wonderful things about suspension is that we try in this dialogue practice, you try to, you try to listen for what resonates. So we're trying to build off of each other. You start to, not only what resonates, but what is alive right here. But what we don't want to do is that thing you always see when you go to a talk or, you, you know, where someone wants to teach you everything they knew about Carl Jung, you know, in the, in the, in the answer period, like, or we tend to want to do this with each other, like teach each other, right? Well, yeah, you know, no, no, this is not what we're doing at all. Where I'd be listening to you and, and listening in for, for what's resonating, what's, what's emerging, what's, what's connecting with my soul and heart. And then I would comment back to that. Oftentimes you'll find if we're, if you're really, in this uh, present and having this practice, someone will speak exactly what you were about to speak. Very interesting. Um, so that's one one thing. So that, so we have suspension, redirection, or constantly coming back to the, the, your presence or so not getting lost in your mind. And then letting go, letting come is the third. So um, how real, it's it's really opening to, to what may be called emergence, you know, in another uh, terminology um, Christians might call that the Holy Spirit, um, but you're really listening in for um, what wants to or what's what's coming forth, and and then kind of naming it. So it's hard if we, you know, haven't had that experience, but it can really build. You usually some say an, after an hour call, you're you're somewhere else than you began. Mm. Uh, <laughs> you know? Olin. Uh, yeah. You quoted Olin yeah. uh, Gunnlaugsson, uh, yeah. talks about redirection or sort of the mm-hmm. overall experience is sur- that this p- piece of it, surrendering into witnessing, slowing down to experience more directly. And then he lists a number of things one might experience in mm-hmm. doing this practice, uh, including timelessness, openness, uh, limitlessness, connectedness, mutuality, receptivity, non-judgment. Uh, dynamic immersion, which sounds really cool. Uh, <laughs> improvisation, uh, suspicion. No, that's a t- sus- suspension. suspension yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> mindfulness, um, and uh, you know the the impression I got when I was reading the description of how the practice goes is that it, it and this is actually how it was described to me is it's like intersubjective meditation. Yes, uh, like all all those things are. You know, all those experiences you might is one might have in meditation, and, yeah. and the the practice itself is like meditation. Like the suspension yeah. that you described is just like you know, just sit down and stop. You know, attending yeah. to all these other things. Just sit down and be still. You know, and stop. Try not to think. You know, try not to 
try not to focus too much on thinking, right? On your thinking, just be present. Uh, and then the uh, redirecting is like when you do start thinking, like when you do start getting distracted, uh, just bring it back, right? Bring yeah. it back to the present moment experience. And then the third part, the third part might be what's sort of added. You know, it might be where something uh, beyond what you would experience in meditation begins to occur. And that's the letting, letting, letting go and letting come. Uh, and because part of what comes, because it is dialogue, is, is language, right? So right. we speak. Uh, we speak and silent. We speak and we're silent. So there's like this polarity or this sort of flow between speech and silence. But but ultimately we 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 speak and something comes through that as as well. Um, so I don't know exactly where you know. I think that's beautiful. First of all, <laughs> you know, I think that like that like that's not only beautiful but it's it's uh, it's potent. Uh, it's really potent if we could enter into that shared space where, you know, we're not just talking to each other from our knowledge and we're not even just presuming that we're even totally other. You know, this is part of where I think maybe, you know, you're going beyond the the postmodern in your, uh, in your, in your, in your writing here is that there's no denial of otherness. There's no. no now that you're there, Trevor, in Vancouver, and I'm here, Marco, in Colorado. Like, we can look at it. We can take perspectives on it, you know, that establish all kinds of otherness and all kinds of complexity. But where I think it, it wants to go a little deeper than that, and that's to, to recognize or to be in this space where we're, there, we're not other, you know, and to, and to start from there, you know, and that when we start to kind of, like, just lose that, to come back to it. Um, there, there's a, there's a, another quote in here I'll share, uh, and it's from uh, Thomas Merton. It's on mm. the third, second page of your uh, of your paper. Yeah. And uh, oh, do you want to do you want to read it? Do you have it in front of you? Sure. Yeah. And I, w- I also say that you know I didn't say earlier because I was was like going long enough. But the about uh, this paper was that as I was starting to have my intuitions in the in the in this class around hmm, it's not feeling like it's going farther enough far enough um that week this quote came into my email inbox because i'm a uh, uh i'm on the listserv of a, the thomas merton society in vancouver a small little group that puts on an event once every once a month or once every few months and this quote came in like right that like day basically i was like thank you whoever said that you know whatever yeah. so anyway it was just this is what catalyzed it for me seeing this with your and i can read it um this is in this eastern or asian, asian journal so i guess this would be in the in the late um 60s when he's already been having communication with the Dalai Lama and various other um, monks and mystics from other traditions. So he says, the deepest level of communication is not communication, but communion. It is, it is wordless. It is beyond words, and it is beyond speech, and it is beyond concepts. Not that we discover a new unity. We discover an older unity. My dear brothers and sisters, we are already one, but we imagine that we are not. And what we have to recover is our original unity. What we have to be is what we are. Mm-hmm. And or, I was going to say something. When you're, you know, I think it relates to where you just were about the not losing a sense of self or a sense of difference. Because in the practice, I've never, um, I have never lost myself or like I'm not there. It's not a you know one of the things 
people in the Andrew Cohen community to always say is that agency and communion are there at the exact same time. And that's one of the weird, trippy parts about it. Um, but you can feel, um, in, through the practice, you can feel there is a, a mind meld. Is that the, I don't, I'm not a Star Trek fan, so it's probably the wrong terminology if I've got that wrong, but you feel, uh, you feel the collective mind. You feel that there's an intelligence when the parts, you know, it's cliche, it's greater than the sum of its parts, but it's like you can experience this directly in this practice that you, there's a creativity that's, that's happening that's only the result of the, the, the all those, of the communion, but about the, of, say, the six minds or six beings together, there's something else that, um, that comes online, and it's quite intelligent. It's usually more intelligent than any other person there. Mm-hmm. So that's one of the weird, bizarre mysteries of this practice. Yeah, um, I've definitely experienced, I mean, it's like, it, it reminds me of music, actually. Uh, nice, exactly. You know, and... Uh, I've been talking a little bit with um, a fellow, Greg Thomas, who's a, a mm. scholar of, of jazz, yeah. uh, and you know he he often talks about the way that you know jazz musicians play together, and they Absolutely. you know there's an intelligence that manifests through their interactions that is is not just greater than the sum of the parts, but it's sort of like it is great. Well, it's that, but it, it it it's 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 not located in any one individual, but it is located in all the individuals, That's you know, right. because then you'll get John Coltrane doing. This you know crazy solo and and uh, and that's like coming through him as an individual in the context of the whole band playing, um, but it really is both at the same time. So you can't break the only play, way you can really break it down is just like mentally and abstractly. You know, like in yeah. the lived experience of it, it's agency and communion, yeah. uh, and you know, and so there's like this meta intelligence, and it's interesting because. I think we tend to associate intelligence and, mm-hmm. and and even like the language that we speak, like with our own individual minds. Uh, and so it's weird when you start experiencing like intelligence that's outside of your mind, like intelligence that you're that's not within you, but that you are within. Mm-hmm. Nice, well put. And I mean, even like the fact, for example, that you got that quote by email, the Thomas mm-hmm. Burton quote about mm-hmm. communion. Like I might almost, although this might start to border on like the, the <laughs> mystical or the magical or the superstitious, mm-hmm. like I might even say that there's some intelligence like operating mm-hmm. even there, not just in the small groups where you are really mm-hmm. focused and, and you know um, intentional about it, but in the events that occur in your life and like kind of what comes into your awareness and mm-hmm. uh, you know and how it relates to and like you know, the, uh, all the other interactions and relationships you have. So it's like, there's, we're talking about this one specific practice, but it's also Mm. like, I think part of like being even able to do that practice is like coming to it with a sensitivity, you know, Mm. to what's, you know, beyond your particular perspective. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Wonderful. I think that that's right. Like you can take it into your, the awareness of that suspension, because so often we can walk, or I can walk down the street and, you know, I'm looking at my shoes and, and I'm running through my list of what I have to do. But, you know, with a different kind of awareness that sort of opens and suspends a little bit as we move through our day, then, you know, to use sort of magical language, you get a few more signs, a few more omens, a few more, hmm, I should go down there, you know, this is the flaneur, this is the person that walks through the city, you know. And I think it's yeah it's beautiful it's a beautiful analogy you make there it's not probably an analogy the, the, the practice the more you could probably do this sensitivity the dialogue practice the more that you would 
uh, I guess, become sensitive sort of to the, the world around you. You know, mm. it's great. I love that. So, 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 like, where do you, where do you feel this going? Mm. Well, you know, as I say at the end of the paper or whatever, I I do. I feel called to it anyway, but I, I felt like I, you can't write a paper like this and kind of not do it. You know, like it's kind of, that's a cop out. It's a theoretical, like it's fun to do my office. Yay. Like, you know, but um, that I'd like to convene um, uh, a group of, of, of faith leaders. Uh, so interfaith leaders who would want to um, come together and, and do this practice, uh, you know, to, you know, obviously together, maybe even in our, in our garb or whatever would be cool, you know? Um, and so I'll have to find the right, the right folks to do that with. That'll be a little bit of a, a process. I mean, one thing I don't say in the paper, but it's true. I didn't really want to get into developmental theory in the paper because that's not really open at my school. We don't talk about developmental theory, so I'm not going to introduce that so that I can make this point, but I think that, and I kind of try to make it in my own way at the end, but, you know, I think, uh, it's not, you know, this is not for the, f- first time or that someone's just getting into inter, inter interfaith um, experience and it's not gonna be the first thing they do. And I mean, so it needs a certain level of development that, you know, to be able to be vulnerable, to be open, to want even to do the communion in, in this way. Right. So I'd have to find a group of people, but what I'm really curious about is I just really want to see an imam and a minister and a rabbi have a communion experience, maybe over periods of time. And then how do they, start speaking to their communities that they lead, you know, how do they still, you know, how do, what comes out of that for them? How do they talk about the religious other after they've experienced community? Mm. So that would be glorious to, to see. Um, another thing that we want to do, um, and we've started conversation with Olin, this, this professor there that, um, who's also a friend and a great cat, but he, we're going to start, we're going to have him train, a group of us in the United Church of Canada. So, uh, we're all ministers, but kind of young and, um, doesn't have to be young, but you know, he's going to train us in how to, uh, to how to lead these these gener- generative dialogue sessions. You know, I've taken part in them, but I, I don't know I don't know how I would uh, how it's best to, the best conditions for if I brought in uh, say people in a congregation together and when I want to lead this this practice. Um, so he's going to we're going to get a little grant money hopefully from the church, and then we're going to um, train a small group who then start to do this. But I think what's interesting, I also notice is that, you know, in, in, in the gospels, Paul famously talks about that we're to become the body of Christ, you know, that, that as, as a church and, and as, as a, you know, we're supposed to, you know, we, we want to be, uh, to be a sort of a, a, a new creation together, you know, to show the world what's possible, you know, and yet churches are almost never that way, <laughs> you know, for 2000 years. I mean, it's just, it's just humans being humans and it's a disaster often. Uh, but this practice, this is a practice where you can actually experience that, you know. And okay, so is mutual prayer. There's other things. It's not just alone. But I think it would be very interesting to to see what would happen when when I literally felt that 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 greater thing, that greater mind you were just talking about, or that greater intelligence, and I was really in a field with you. Um, maybe that. Maybe I don't know. Again, these are all unknown. But maybe this would be a way to um, to start to bring forth a bit more of that body of Christ that that Paul talked about. <laughs> I think that sounds beautiful, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we were. Uh, yeah. I mean that, that, uh, I, I know that like for me, that's, this is like the edge, you know, that's like the mm-hmm. idea of 
I mean, one of the ideas of a theory of everybody, you know, just as like one particular way of articulating like an inquiry is like what happens when people are, you know, just talk to each other uh, without any other presumptions, you know, like without, uh, like without presumptions of identity or Mm. worldview or um, developmental level or, Mm. um, you know, certainly cultural, sexual, like all kinds of, all kinds of ways that we identify, you know, and we could sort of identify ourselves in like a thousand different ways and just kind of labels for ourselves. And, and all those are true, you know, and all, and they're also very historically important. Like, it's like you, we have to really pay attention to the historical like specificity of say the conflicts between, you know, different religious groups, mm-hmm. um, you know, as well as like all the other, you know, all identities are in conflict basically is like, seems to be like the case. And, you know, it's, it's, you know, in certain contexts that takes an actual like physical violence, you know, form Uh, in other contexts, it's more cultural and it's more emotional. Um, But, you know, our, our societies are just so riven by, by conflict because, because of the proliferation of competing, often competing, uh, identities, right? Yes. And because of our sort of like constriction to our particular, the particularity of who we believe ourselves to be. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, so letting that go, uh, and then, uh, but then like being in presence with the other, like, uh, and then seeing what emerges, I mean, that's, uh, you know, that's where it's at. You know, I mean, that's, I, mean, I don't see it. I mean, th- the other question I wanted to ask you yeah. that I thought you, 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 is like, what's at stake? Uh, you, you address this a little bit in your paper. And right. I'd love to hear more of a sense of like, you know, why does this matter? What, what's important about it? Right. Um, I'm just going to, I'm going to just back up for one second. I wrote down that question because um, I want to speak. I want to really speak to uh, or amplify or honor what you just said around the um, around difference and this. You know, this is one of the, of course, one of the beautiful things about postmodernity is this recognition of difference. And we're going to bring more and more marginalized people into the fold. We're going to have allow allow more and more identities to be possible. I mean, not to joke about it, but the alphabet of sexuality now. You know, I mean, this, there's a lot of different identities, right? And and this is beautiful, but. One of the one of the problems with that, or one of the shadows with that, is is a sort of endless battle from people with people trying to get their their voice at the table, right? So there's like a lot of voices, and and, and maybe too, and sometimes maybe too strong identity with some some parts of that. I, I don't know. I, I love the fact that you're trying to plug this into your project with theory of everybody. I think it's a really wise thing, and I, and I think that. Um, um, yeah, I hope that ethos gets grabbed or I hope it can be developed there because, you know, especially with intellectual folks, I haven't been out on the Gabeser, in the Gabeser group and I, and I would love to see what's happening. But I know that there, you know, when you have a lot of people with a lot of knowledge, it can be really draining hearing people give their dissertation in, in a comment or, you know, um, and I know back in some of Craig Hamilton's groups, I just learned this one thing, I kind of mentioned it earlier, but I loved it. And his dialogue you know, when you dialogue with people um, on the site, you couldn't teach anybody. And so that's just like, okay, just took that off the table, right? And it's like, how beautiful. Because now rather than getting my voice in or doing this, we're like, oh, we're actually listening together, uh, you know, to each other. I don't know how you put it earlier, but it was sort of like, 
he kind of said, you know, people coming together in in this way, where they're just with each other, not with developmentally, not. And I think, I think there's something um, beautiful there. Anyway, I also will, will quickly note that it's worth um, it's worth pointing out that a lot of philosophy and, and postmodern philosophy has taken a turn beyond this difference. Uh, it's funny, most of these guys are Marxists, but. Um, and, uh, but you know, Elaine Badu wrote a book called St. Paul. So he's right. He's an atheist writing about St. Paul. Very bizarre. And it's called the subtitle is called the foundations of universalism. Um, Zizek has gone in that direction. Uh, so it's Terry Eagleton. I mean, there's, there's a lot of push out of, you know, uh, one last heart and Negri as well. There's a push. We can't come together in a, in a common political project, this sort of new earth we want to see beyond the society we're living in, but just on difference alone, you know, that we have to really be able to way to find out how we do commune or how we do the common. Hmm. So, you know, Hart and Negri have their concept of the multitude, but it's an interesting concept. If you look at it, it's, it's, they define it as uh, irreducible singularities who come together in common. Hmm. So they've kept the postmodern difference, but they're saying, folks, we got to go back to the common if we're going to link arms and we're going to create something here. Um, so I don't know if you want to respond to that before I go into why does this matter? Because that part of that is why it matters. Yeah. Yeah. Right. But there's more to why it matters too. But, um, well, I, I, I think that that's profound <laughs> and, um, and incredibly challenging. Uh, and at the same time, like I think once you just start doing it, I think that there is something that's easy about it in the sense that, let me put it this way, in the sense that you can relax into it a little bit. Exactly. You know, it's like if you don't have to have all the answers, if, if you don't have to like be the one who's teaching everybody else, if you don't have to be, you know, defending your particular identity or advocating for your particular identity, which by the way, is still really like that's this, we're presupposing that. Absolutely. We're presupposing pluralism. Like we're yeah. presupposing that we're actually addressing the you know historical uh, historical wounds, historical injustices. I mean, all that is like primary. I think. For you sure. know, like you can't not do that. Absolutely. I mean that. And, uh, but let's say we're doing that. You know, let's say. Yeah, I mean, it's obvious that you know cops could shouldn't be killing unarmed black kids. Like that's obvious. We know that, yeah. right? Okay, but what are we doing about it? And how do we even begin to like approach that? And that's what I think what you're talking about is like we need to know how to relate to one another yeah. beyond the basis of our differences. Like that's all arising out of this war of all identities against all. Yeah. So how do we end that war and yeah. you know begin to manifest what I think we intuit is possible? Uh, so that that would be my my response to that. Um, but yeah. uh, I, I think that's. That's that. No, I think that's exactly right. Uh, one one other, you know, this is kind of in the paper, but I want one of the other things. I think what's at stake, or what could be very interesting about this kind of interfaith dialogue work, where you're moving beyond difference to sort of a more communion, is that there's a core, there's a core in all in every religious tradition, and that that talks about the love of all peoples, right? So I threw, I went on to integral meta, uh, post metaphysical spirituality. I went to that site and I just asked the question, you know, does anybody have, because um, I know a few from the Christian tradition that of sort of, a, a, you know, in this ethnocentric space, these these traditions came out of, do you know of world-centric passages or or do you know of passages that talk about that universal love? Well, 
you know, Bruce Alderman, uh, who runs that site, laid down the uh, laid down this massive quote. Well, he must have been collecting them or something, but a lot of other people did too. So it, it was it's quite a rich, a rich thing. But so here's a couple. I mean, I, there's there's many, and this is in every tradition, including First Nations, Islam, everything. Um, so you know, in 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 um, you know, the in Jainism it says have benevolence towards all living beings. Hinduism, I look upon all creatures equally; none are less dear to me, and and none more dear. Um, in Buddhism, as a mother with her own life guards the life of her own children, let all embracing thoughts for all that lives be thine. So, what I, what I, my gambit or what I kind of hope, right, could be interesting is that as we, as we're all crushed together in this planetary civilization, now this convergence, you know, everything's smashed together, and we have that maybe we can emphasize that part of our tradition, you know, those things that were that were kind of ahead of the tradition, mm. because you know, in the Christian in the Christian tradition, you have this, you know, this you have these beautiful passages like that and then right around them is like ethnic violence. Like basically, and if you don't be this, you're going to go to hell for their whole life. You know, it's like, no, you can't be say that. I mean, you can because that they they were both in the hearts of those writers. Right. Um, this, but this other beautiful universal thing was, was emerging too. And it's in every single tradition. And so what if we kind of focused on that part of our traditions and, and came together uh, under these different statements that are in every one of our faiths, and I don't know. And I think that could be a very powerful force, whoever combined, uh, whatever groups combined, could be towards moving towards a more harmonious planetary civilization. And I think religions can actually, rather than the, the, the fundamentalist reaction we're, we're so saddled with, can, can actually be a leader, be leaders together in, in, in calling forth the, the nugget that, that exists in with, within every one of them. So, hmm. um, That's really cool. Uh, you know, I've, I, um, you know, I've, I wish you so much, you know, success and so many blessings in that in that work, and um, you know, I want to see it expand. You know, mm-hmm. I, I want to see it. Uh, I want to kind of be doing it all the time. Actually, you know, yeah. I mean, that's that's, you know, on the one hand, it's a practice that we could do intentionally. You get people together in a circle, and you mm-hmm. you know you and you decide that you're going to you're going to enter into the space together. Like you do it deliberately, intentionally. You have some structure for it. You have some rules for it. You, you know, so it's a, it's a, uh, an action, right? Um, and on the other hand, like the sensibility, I think, with mm-hmm. which you would even do that thing is you could take it really into your whole life and into all of your interactions with everybody. Uh, I mean, you could take with with your pets, you know, with uh, a tree, with like there is always this, I think, opportunity to be in dialogue, you mm-hmm. know, to be listening and speaking and feeling and being present with uh, the the uh, the others who are around you and who are reflecting you, you know, and vice versa. Uh, so I, 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 you know. I, I think that, but to bring it back to like specificity, like to bring it back to like things that you can kind of like put into practice. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you mentioned that you do this uh, with others, uh, both in person, but also through like Google Hangouts, right? Mm-hmm. And so one of like the little contextual things for me is that we've been doing as part of this reading of uh, Gebser, mm-hmm. The Ever-Present Origin, we've been doing Hangouts. And so, uh, last four weeks, not not including this week, this is a cat, uh, a break week, uh, but we've been getting together twice a week, uh, and there's usually a group of six to eight people uh, on yes. a hangout, and uh, you know we're talking about a book, so it's intellectual, like 
-hmm. That's just the nature of what we're doing. For sure. But, and I didn't have totally a totally clarified intention going into it. But as we started doing it, I realized that, okay, we're talking about this book, we're discussing it, there's a aspect of this, that's kind of like a, maybe a, you know, grad school seminar or something like that. Uh, but there's another aspect to it, which is the communion aspect. It's like, mm -hmm. we're here together as people. And there is, we have feelings for each other already, even though we barely, you know, some of us don't know each other that well. Mm -hmm. But I, I, I enjoy seeing faces like on my screen, you know, I enjoy feeling the, um, the sense of, the sense of connection, uh, the sense of like, you know, common cause of common, of common heart even. Uh, and, and at the same time, because I don't have a formal sort of practice background for doing it, it's sort of like a, a jumble of different things. And sometimes it goes into that space and sometimes it gets more heady and, and abstract. And um, I'm curious, like how, you know, how you've actually experienced this online and like specifically using a technology like Google Hangouts or like you have a bunch of people, you know, connected via the internet. Like, what are the possibilities for generative dialogue in that context? Yeah, I, I my experience so far is it's it's extremely powerful. I, I don't. It's it's bizarre. I mean, maybe it's not if we un understand the non the mind is non local, or if we buy that 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 argument, which I do, frankly, which would be great when we in a society when we all do. But anyhow, <laughs> that we're 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 kind of we're connected across major space and time, you know, and and so there is something. You know, you almost are intimate in a way. Like when you you were you were there together. But let me let me just say that, um, you know, it's in some in something which like you describe, you know, uh, and I love that too. That I think you said the sort of the, well, the camaraderie, the common cause. But there's also something just bizarrely interesting about people on a screen in front of you from different parts of the world. You know, like it's like it's just so awesome. Like we're in such a weird, interesting time. You know. Like time and space has been compressed in these weird ways, you know. You're probably reading more Gabeson than I do. You can know what, what's happening there. You can tell me another time. But um, um, so there's that. But then there's also there's the intention that so when we come together online, when I come together online to do the, that practice, we always read we always read out a series of injunctions, you know, before the call to get us to remind us of of what of that practice because it's not habit. I mean, that's not you know our habit is to talk out of our ego, <laughs> but you know, in our self narrative. So this is, has to be, to be said out loud, but I will, um, I will read, I will re read these if, if, if you don't mind. Oh, please. Yeah. Yeah. So this is from next step integral site. It's on their community practice resources. It's called we practice, we space practice injunctions, invitations, invocations. Uh, I was with that group of people, but we had people coming in from uh, Dustin Diperna and Andrew Venezia, people who were doing this, work they're coming in through skype and we kind of took a bunch of different people's work and put them together but uh so there's a series of things you can do beforehand but this is the series of injunctions that we read read out and was read out this morning before we started the call a bit of silence and then it was may we surrender into witnessing allowing presence to deepen may we suspend the known being open and curious may we listen deeply to what wants to emerge building on the truth of what has been said. May we engage passionately, infusing the space with life energy and expectancy. Uh, may we be mindful of self, especially our inner faculty of discernment. May we be mindful of the other, attuning to the thread of truth. 
maybe be mindful of the space informed by the whole field. And then there's this other, and then these four, five things you say, another reminder, you say, should I speak? Okay. So when you're, you've touched on yourself, you're like, should I speak into the field? Is now the time? Is this the space? Am I the one? Is it from God? And, and so don't forget that. I mean, this is a practice. I have to work hard in a way during a call to try to do this as much as I possibly can. But the invocation of it beforehand sets the field and we know we're intentionally doing it together. Now, whether you'd want to bring it into, you know, your groups or some version of that, or just, you know, a mini threefer that then, but it can help, um, you know, yeah. Be a reminder. Yeah. I mean, I, I definitely, uh, that's, that's, I didn't actually, I never heard that before. You right. Know, I never yeah, heard no. the, that series of injunctions. No. It's well, a lot more uh, detailed than right. even it's, what you represented in your paper between, yeah. you know, the suspension and the uh, redirecting and the letting go, letting come. I mean, that's sort of like just kind of the big, the pillars of it, if you will, right. it seems. And then this gets really detailed, like, because yeah. they're sort of like setting the intention. It's everybody setting it together. So it's like an aligning with it. And then it's like these things you need to remember Mm-hmm. during the call and like remind yourself okay you you kind of ask yourself these series of questions even as something arises in you you get the That's feeling right. that you want to say something yeah or maybe you get a feeling there are other feelings like sometimes i'm in a conversation i'm like i start getting anxious and i start like i don't know constricting back to into myself mm-hmm. and then i start feeling that maybe i that i sound awkward or mm-hmm. that uh there's something you know weird going on in the space and that becomes like a physical thing too, yeah. where like you kind of have to just let yourself feel weird. Yes, very much so. Uh, and it could, you know, so it could be a thing in your chest too, where it's even like yeah. painful or in your gut. Uh, and be, like inquire what's going on in there. Mm-hmm. You know, is that something that needs to come out? Is mm-hmm. this the space for that? You right. know, it's a, and the other uh, question, the other you know injunctions that uh, that you shared. Uh, so. It's it's definitely uh, a challenging practice, um, and I don't. I, I'd be very curious to see where it goes if, like, we actually like did something like it uh, or adapted it, uh, like in just in other forms of conversation. You know, uh, yes. And there's some. It seems like you can take it in any number of directions. You know, infinite infinite conversations. Like, <laughs> I love it. Yeah, well, maybe it needs to be brought into family dinner time now or family holiday time because I, I, I noticed, like, I just got turned on to a book called uh, Alone Together, you know, and um, I guess there's a TED Talk, which I haven't watched yet, but uh, where, you know, just this everybody together but on their phones or on their... Uh, I've really noticed a, a sort of deterioration in our ability to be present to one another and to listen, you know? Mm. Um, and so, um, yeah, so, I, you're right. I mean, I can't think of a, a ton now, but I'm sure there's so many contexts where a bit more of this orientation would, would open would open space too, because you know th- I think of a church context, like at a board meeting or or whatever, and so we can all fill in our own context. But even describing just the Gabeser group on the site, one of the beautiful things about those injunctions is that, and I've already said this several times, but I can't emphasize it enough. Uh, and I'm just you know as guilty as anybody. But when you get a group of people like that, are are knee jerk. Hey, I know this too. So you say something, and and then I go, oh, I know something about that. I read a book, you know. And then so it's just a bunch of people beacon off about their own, about what, what their mind has told them they remembered, rather than a building in the, in the real time of something new, a new castle together, mm. right? Yeah. And I think, you know, and that's what we want to get to is that new castle. Mm. And, and it can be very, and it's also spiritually beautiful. Like you're already feeling it in the column. You're saying, 
you're connecting to these folks. And I know in your David Foster Wallace group, you're saying you felt very connected to people that way too. So, but yeah, I, I find once we do the suspension and we, and we're actually listening, it's really beautiful. It's heartwarming. I feel connected to people. I guess this is the whole point. That's that communion thing, you know, but yeah. In the best moments, I start to feel like I could trust the space. Like I could trust it kind of like if I have something to say, yes. that's cool. If I don't have anything to say, that's cool. Like whatever needs to be said or whatever needs to remain unsaid will be said or, you know, be silent in, yeah. the, in the moments. Like, uh, no, yeah, that's and, beautiful. And so I'm, I'd like to string those moments together, you know, make more <laughs> of a, a necklace out of them, make more <laughs> of a, um, you know, something that's more continuous continue deepened i guess continue you know, more of it more of it it's yeah. good it's, it's it's good it's good I, it is and you also can't force it that's the thing you know it the forcing is going to come from the self and and so you know just on the call this morning I've, i still find it very difficult when someone shares in a very vulnerable way in a beautiful way and you know they they're sort of raw they're opening the moment and then they stop and we're in silence together my instinct is to go oh that, that was just say something or just to fill the space like it's like you're so raw and vulnerable right now i feel uncomfortable in a way um so i, I I'll, I'll just say something but i you don't and it even feels bad to leave someone hanging but it's not because the space you trust the space and it starts to do its own thing you know and so that's part of what i've learned learned as well um you know you you can't try to be profound <laughs> that's that that's that's death you know like it, you <laughs> simply you let go and let come and what olin said to me last time he's got a new term for the middle there he's adding a term between let go and let come and i can't remember but it's like i want to say it's like let yourself be restful or something it's like that he found that bohemian dialogue was a bit you felt almost anxious for the letting come like please let me say something that's profound but it's like no just as you say trust the space just sit there sit in that and shit emerges it's amazing Infinite Conversations is a project of A Theory of Everybody, a platform for social poetics and planetary thought. In addition to this podcast and podcast network, we're also working on a number of other projects, including an online journal of consciousness and culture called Metapsychosis, an unusually hardcore book club called Lit Geeks, and a discussion hub tying these all together at infiniteconversations.com where you can join the conversation. We offer all this freely in the spirit of the gift, and you can learn more and support our work at theoryofeverybody.com. Once again, this is Marco Vimorelli. Thanks for listening. <laughs>